All right, welcome to the Taking Care podcast with Josh Covet. Uh, this podcast is 100% for me. I like to stay really pumped up and motivated. I like to talk to interesting people, and this gives me the perfect opportunity to do that. So I'll be interviewing people that uh, that that motivate me, people doing life in the right way, uh, people involved in philanthropy, people uh, that are doing business at an extremely high level, people that are taking care of themselves at an extremely high level. And I invite you to listen in and enjoy as well. All right, folks. So episode number four, Take Care with Josh Covet. We have... Ash Merchant with us, and we just had a wonderful yakitori bencho yes, meal. Yeah, which it was a success, right? Pretty delicious, cool stuff. Yeah, ten out of ten. I'm gonna get your your comments on it, but before we do, I have to tell our kind of meet cute because uh, this is like a very rare situation where um, I reached out to to Facebook World and I said, "Hey, who should I interview next?" And I think people are starting to figure out the kind of person that I want to interview. So someone who is doing big things in business, someone who takes really good care of themselves and their psyche, like resilient individuals, uh, people that are working on some sort of higher calling, basically. And then uh, uh, people that work with the underserved and Dan Glaze, who <laughs> needs to get his butt on this podcast <laughs> in the first place. Right. Dan Glaze says, hey, you need to interview Ash Merchant and whatever Dan Glaze says, I believe, because he's. The greatest Amen. person on the planet, pretty much, <laughs> yes, right? Yes. I think he won an award for that, greatest person on the planet. Anyway, so then I look up Ash, and I see that you're connected with Laura Covet and Steve Covet on LinkedIn, <laughs> which is hysterical because those are my parents. And I call, and I'm like, hey, how do you know Laura and Steve Covet? And what, so what's the story for how you know them? So Laura, your mom and I worked together at uh, the first company I worked for outside of school, was where I met Laura. Yeah. And it, we spent 10 years together then working together and she's she was my boss for a period and just one of my favorite people. Small world. So, Such a small yeah, world. Yeah, it was. And it was funny when you reached when we reached out. I said, I know two Covets in the world, and I'm about to know a third. I bet you they're all connected. <laughs> they have, have to be, right? They absolutely have to be. Uh, for those in podcasting world that don't know this, Dan Glaze is the money manager for all of the movement foundation money. And he works for NCF and he's an amazing individual yes, and is. a really sharp guy. And you're a client of his, clearly. Indeed. That's how y'all yeah. uh, know each other, right? He's one of my favorite people okay. on the planet. Oh, yeah. I love Yeah, I, I feel the same way about him. I think everyone who's ever met him feels that way about him. Okay, so fast forward. I reach out, we have a little initial interview and I ask you the question I ask everybody, which is, what do you do to take care of yourself? And you said a new one that I hadn't heard yet. And you said, I like to grill. I do. I like to cook. I like to cook, I, I, grill, I, I, yeah. Whether it's grill or whether it's cooking indoors. And and then we just meandered into a very interesting conversation after that. Exactly. Yeah. It's one of those where I wanted to stop the conversation because I wanted it on camera. And I was worried we were going to uh, leave some parts out for, for this, obviously. But we decided... Uh, I'm trying to figure out which camera. That one. I'm looking at that camera. We decided to have a, a, a unique grilling experience. And we ordered a big bag of bincho ton charcoal. You have to look it up. This is the nicest, the highest end charcoal in the entire world. Yes. Out of Japan. Out of one forest in Japan with this unique process. And it comes out really hard looking like bones. And it's supposed to be... The hottest and the tastiest uh, and the best charcoal. We bought a bag this big 
for $150 and wanted to check it out and see if it was like worth all the fuss. And what, what were your thoughts on it? I would say it was absolutely worth it. We, we feasted on chicken and salmon and vegetables and uh, pork belly and yeah. just a really tasty and some Wagyu, uh, Wagyu beef as well. The Wagyu beef? Was, and it wasn't A5 a, a, was a or A6? A5? A5? Yeah, I think it's A5. No, it was the, it was the ground mm-hmm. Wagyu beef, but it, it, uh, it, was, it was a very high-end hamburger, and it, it was delicious. The charcoal, um, it, it's, it gets so hot, but it smokes instead of flaming when the fat hits it, which I think adds to the, the flavor a little bit. And then you also have to buy this special little unique grill for it. So for, for those that want to try this out, I'll, I'll put some B-roll on so you can check it out. Anyway. I'll I tell you what I loved about it, though, is it allowed you and I to spend a good amount of time just getting to know one another and understanding about our stories and understanding about our backgrounds. And, you know, normally, I mean, you and I could have met for dinner right down the street over here and it wouldn't have been nearly as uh, uh, engaging and and yeah. certainly personable. Well, and, and like there's something a little primal about it. How long have... have men been standing yeah. over fire cooking meat and exactly. having a chat with one another and getting to know each other that's right yeah so that's uh yeah i enjoyed that i enjoyed that a lot that was a nice little treat um a lot of times instead of doing that we go we do a workout yeah and the workouts are usually so hard that i can't talk <laughs> during any of it <laughs> so i don't get to know the person because i'm panting on the ground one guy took me jogging one guy did crossfit like it's like well, it's like that was nice that, that was my style out there you know i had a cocktail you had a chilled chilled uh coke zero so yeah that was uh we, we might have to rethink my uh my the way i do podcasts anyway so Give me, give me like a brief introduction in history on, uh, on Ash Merchant. Sure. Ash Merchant, uh, I've been in Atlanta for 42 plus years now. And, uh, I, I married a native and, uh, there's not that many of them left that were born and raised in Atlanta, but my wife was, and her family was as well. And, and delighted to call Atlanta home. Yeah. Uh, grew up in upstate New York. Uh, as I shared with you over dinner, I I'm a first-generation American, so I, my parents immigrated from India back in the '60s, and we just grew up in upstate New York, and then came down to Atlanta when I was 10, and have been in Atlanta ever since. Uh, went to Georgia for my undergrad, and yeah, uh, go dogs and Walton, Georgia, Walton High School. Uh, still, it's the first those. time anyone from Walton's ever gone to Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> and then did my MBA at Emory. So I've, I've been an Atlanta boy the whole time. Local. Yeah. 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 Um, there's, there's, so we try to keep it short because people have very uh, short attention spans right sure. now. But there's two parts I want to key in on with you from our, our chats. Sure. Okay. The first part is, first of all, if my wife hears this story, <laughs> it's over for me. Okay. So flourishing career, like knocking the socks off of it in the corporate world. And then all of a sudden you decide to go on sabbatical and take the family on an RV trip across the world, the country for a year. Yes. One year, one year, one whole year. And, and I got to say that equally entices me and freaks me out. <laughs> right. We've been climbing and climbing and climbing. And then we just say, okay, I'm going to put it all on hold and I'm going to go, and spend a year. So, so how did this come to be? What's, what's the story? Yeah. So it, it, it's a great story because everybody always assumes it was my idea. And the truth is it was my wife's idea. And she had approached me in 2015, um, 
I had just switched over to a new job in my in the company that I had been working for. I had gotten promoted and was looking to do some uh, just larger things in the organization. So this assignment was going to be pivotal for that. So she comes to me and she says, "Hey, what do you think about us traveling in an RV?" And without even thinking, perhaps even flippantly, I was like, "I kind of said, sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I can rent that. Yeah, yeah I can figure that out for for a week, uh, maybe two, maybe three. And she's just sort of shaking her head, going, "No, that's not what I'm talking about, really. I'm talking about doing life on the road. I've been reading about this. There's like these sub communities of people that." take their families and they do homeschooling on the road and they do, you know, just all kinds of stuff. And it, I'm embarrassed to say today that my first reaction was, uh, was, was not very kind, uh, and, and certainly not very receiving. Yeah. Um, cause I thought, man, we got, we got everything around us. We have a comfortable life. We, we have a big house. We got, you know, we, we have plenty of margin in our life. Yep. You know, why would we give that up today? Why, why would you trade comfort for discomfort? Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't even know. I, I've never owned a pickup truck. I, I don't have no idea how to pull a camper. Uh, uh, just all the things of what I didn't know how to do just popped out. And, and not to mention the fact I'd be unemployed for a year and draining a bunch of savings. Yeah, that's the part account. that scares me the most, by the way. <laughs> I thought, this is the craziest idea I've ever heard of. So, so fast forward uh, a little bit, I... Um, I, I, I said to her, and, and not in all sincerity, I said, well, you know what? You've brought this idea to me. Let me let me pray about it. And thinking in the back of my head of, man, this thing's going to be dead yeah. on Thanksgiving, hopefully. This is, the, this is the Christian smokescreen. You are not supposed <laughs> totally, to use that, totally by the Christian way. Totally Christian smokescreen, yeah. right? Is, is, <laughs> is, all right, all right, all right. I'll pray about it. And so I took it back. I started thinking about it some more. And then I had the bright idea to meet up with our financial advisor and said, all right, I'm not going to be the bad guy here. He is. Now, we go into this meeting and I had a suspicion of what might happen, but I should have done as we talked about at dinner. I probably needed to pre-wire that discussion. Pre-set it up. Yeah, yeah. And so we're sitting across from Dan and uh, he's going through all of our charts and graphs and effectively um, says, yeah, well, you know, your retirement balances are going to be less. Um, however, you're like, sorry, baby. Sorry. <laughs> however, you guys could actually pull this off. <laughs> I thought, Doug got it. And, and, you know, he knew our situation at the time. I had a, you know, I had a pre-K kid and a kid in middle school. So yeah, he's like, Ash, you're going to be working for another <laughs> 18 years, probably. Um, I think you can make it up You'll on the catch back, back up. And yeah. I'm like, all right, did she did she put you up to this? <laughs> she got to him. Did you get to him? Dan, how much? How uh, much how much how much was it? How much did it cost? Yeah. And and just anyway, so we so then after that, and this is where the wrestling happened for me was it was less about the money. I mean, of course the money was you had to factor that in. We had to make all that work. But we had uh we had just lived below our means for so many years that Financially, we could actually pull it off. The thing that got me tripped up was what took me the next two years. And that was, I had wrapped up my professional work into my identity. And they were so tightly, tightly intertwined that I couldn't pull them apart. I couldn't make the separation of, I can't even think about leaving the marketplace 
because I'm an executive at a big Fortune 250 company, and I just have, you know, I'm a senior vice president and all this stuff. Yeah. And I mean, it's crazy things. Um, and, and insecurity started creeping in about, I can't give that up. Uh, who's going to hire me? You know, I'm going to be forgotten. I'm not going to be relevant. I'm not going to just... And who, got, and who will I be? Yeah, right? and like who will I, what will I do? That's part of who you I know, am. What will I actually do? You're just going to be an RV driver. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and just the thought of that felt uh, grossly irresponsible to me. You know, <laughs> um, how do you give up something like this? So How did you deal with it? I wrestled with it for a couple of years, and I had two clients who were incredibly helpful and very instrumental in sort of speaking into my life and reminding me that you have a unique opportunity to practice servant leadership at home you know, through an experience like this, you have a unique opportunity to also continue your relationships with your professional network, albeit in a very different way. No one's going to forget about you. And you're not going to be irrelevant when you come back. As a matter of fact, I had one client who told me this, and I'll forever be grateful to this client, is they said, people are going to remember a different side of you that they would have never gotten to have seen had you continued down your corporate road, you would have had a great career, and I believe that. You know, you would have had a very fine career, and you would have served your clients well till your retiring day. But they just wouldn't get to see it, not only that change in you, you right? but it really gives a personal side to you yeah. that they just wouldn't get a glimpse of. And they already knew that one thing about you, which is that you're a big shot C-suite guy, and then they get to see you as a a dad. They got to see me as a fumbling a uh, F-350 traveler. driver. Yeah. Right. Well, but also right. someone that that can put the more important things in front of work, right? You know, they, they can see you in a whole different light, I'd imagine. It was, uh, it was an illuminating experience because it taught me a lot about where I had placed priorities, you know, and where I had, where I had put my own worth and my own value and... Um, and it was it was a dangerous place to be, really. Um, and and I I don't say that in a in a pious way or anything like that. But I, I think we a lot of us struggle with that idea of being in the marketplace and being so invested in the marketplace. So the thought of stepping away just creates a level of tension and angst that most people would find so uncomfortable that they'd be like, you know what, it's just not worth it. Yeah. And and it was funny because the conversation I. I had, after we decided we were going to go on this trip, I had three reactions from people when we told them we were going to do it. Okay. The first reaction was, oh, that's great. We are so glad you're doing it. Hey, you go. I could never do that. You know. Yeah. Second reaction was, I had an opportunity to do something like that earlier in my career, and I didn't take it, and it's become a life regret of mine. That's the, powerful. And the third reaction was, I had an opportunity to take an opportunity like that, perhaps albeit not as complicated or logistically robust as we did. And I took it, and it was a life changer for me. And I told Beth, my wife, I said, I said, if we do this trip right, which I believe we will, we will be in that last camp. And I'm delighted to report we're in that You're last camp. You're in the last camp. Yeah. I absolutely love that. Um, I was thinking two two things. I was thinking as you were speaking. One, both of my um, father, so my father in law and my biological father, 
are retiring this year, mm -hmm. and they're going to struggle with that big time. Yeah. They're they're you know my my father in law was this big shot in the heavy heavy machinery industry, and mm -hmm. and my 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 dad's a, a pharmacist, and it's like now you're just you're not going to be that thing anymore, right? So now That's you right. have to figure out what what you are going to be right. and be able to let go of that that other part of you. I think people really struggle with that. They do, time. and and it's funny because. Um, if you don't think about it a few years ahead of when it is time, in fact, for you to retire, your retirement years are pretty bumpy because you, you've just gone cold turkey from working all the time to, oh, my goodness, I'm staring at my belly button now. Yeah. I'm, I'm a anything. pancake you flipper. Know? Right. <laughs> I iron clothes. Yeah, I build I build a uh, above-ground gardening <laughs> box for my wife now. Uh do you have time for a quick funny story about Absolutely. a word that yeah, you just said? Yeah. You're, you're supposed to be the star of the show. No, I'm like no, David yeah. Letterman. I'm interviewing come on, you. Come on, but I have I a funny it. story for you, okay? <laughs> Let's hear it. Um, servant leadership. Yeah. Okay. I, I left the big banks and I was interviewing the next mortgage company. Found movement. Mm -hmm. Fell in love with movement. But the the other owner of movement, the other founder, his name is Toby Harris. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever met him. You, no, you've met Casey. I met Casey. Okay, yeah. Toby was kind of like the brains behind the operation that that did our structure and our process and all of that. Okay. So I fly out to Virginia Beach and I sit down with him, and I'm this cocky thirty year old that had been rising through the ranks of of middle management, you know. And uh, he says, "So Josh, what what do you what do you do in a day?" And I rattled off all these reports and I check this and I do that and I email this and I thought I was like crushing it. And he goes, Josh, I need you to stop doing all of that, every <laughs> bit of it. Okay. And he says, I'm going to tell you about um, servant leadership. And he says, from now on, you work for the loan officers. It's your job to clear the path. It's your job to mop the toilets. It's your job to make sure that they can be successful and not be thanked for it. And that's what you're going to do. Don't manage them anymore. Just just clear their barriers, clear their hurdles, say yes. Okay. And when I got back and I loved it, I spent my first six months just pouring into that, hiring people that didn't need to be managed and practicing servant leadership. Yes. Okay. No, this is where the story gets funny. So I was not raised in the church. Okay. So I had never heard that term before. So I'm walking in my neighborhood and I come across some neighbors and I said, where are y'all heading? And they said, we're heading to a small group. And I know that that's Bible study that's been rebranded and it's now small group. Okay. So I know what small group is. And I said, that's really cool. What are y'all studying today in small group? And they said, servant leadership. And I said, are you serious? And they said, yeah. I said, you're studying Toby Harris. And they said, <laughs> they said, who's Toby Harris? I said, He's, He's the, the founder of, of movement, and he invented servant leadership. Like, how are you studying servant leadership but you don't know Toby Harris? And they said, Josh, he did not invent servant leadership. I said, who did? And they stopped for a second, and they said, Jesus. <laughs> I'd never heard the term before. I had no reason but to believe that this was Toby's thing. Toby's thing was servant leadership. Okay. On to this, the second part of another fascinating thing that you said, and I'm going to fumble it. So you talked about finding the, the, uh, the crosshairs of the pie between go, – go ahead and just take over for me so I don't mess it up. Yeah, so, so really getting that intersection of what are you passionate about? What are you 
genetically encoded for, really, what can you be best in the world at, and then what fuels your economic engine. Now, that's not mine, nor is it Toby Harris's. Um, it's Jim Collins. When he wrote that book, Good to Great, 20-something years ago, 22 years ago, he talks about this for, um, he talks about this for corporations. Yeah. And he talks about, you know, he asked the question of what's your hedgehog? Now think about the hedgehog. Well, I know, yeah, animal, hedgehog, right? yeah. Yeah, the hedgehog is just this dowdy creature who knows how to do one thing and only one thing. And whereas the, and he compares it to the fox. And the fox is clever, he's got his hands in everything, he knows a little bit about, every, you know, yeah. lots of things. And he pushes this notion of, okay, what's your hedgehog? So then defined by, what am I passionate about? What can I be best in the world at? Not literally, but kind of what, what can I be best in my field at? Yeah. Yeah, what am I genetically encoded for? And then what fuels my economic engine? Where those three Makes circles sense. intersect, that's the ideal job. So that's the ideal role. It's funny that I asked you this question because if I would have interviewed you in the office, yeah. and there's a, two seats like this in our podcasting room, yeah. and there's a book sitting right here, and it's good to great. <laughs> <laughs> I need to read it again, clearly. It's, uh, it is, it, some of the stuff in there is timeless. Uh, um, amazing. Book. You know, concept-wise. Yeah. I mean, it, it is funny to see now kind of the companies that were profiled in there and kind of, they, and there's, there's been some companies that have gone away, obviously, but generally speaking... I, I'm a big believer in the approach, and there's different there's different variations of those three circles. I've seen some that are four circles. I've seen the ikigai model that comes out of Japan. I mean, it's it's a lot of the same concept, but basically getting to a place where, you know, when I got into the workforce, you know, we made the mistake sometimes of going straight to the economic engine and saying, all right, what's going to be the best paying job that I can get? And yeah, I've got some skills to do it, uh, but am I really passionate about it? We kind of backdoored into that. That's right. And and I think, and this is where I think, and we talked a little bit about millennials and even Gen Z, I think now, I think a lot of these folks, they actually get this model right because they do in fact focus on, all right, what am I really, what am I excited about? I want to be a part of something. I want to be something that kind of gets me excited and yep. going in the morning versus... Something bigger need, than them. Yeah, I don't need to make over hundred grand a year, or maybe I do, but it's not my it's not my opening serve, you know. Well, it's also the gig economy. You were saying that it's so cool that people can have three different jobs, and when you have three different jobs, you get to figure out the one that you love. Absolutely right. And and you could focus more on that one, you know, even if maybe it doesn't pay as well as the other two. And we've been, you know, it's funny we've been talking about this in the world of investing for years around diversification. You know, just you know, asset allocation and diversification and the financial terms around that. We we always say, well, you got to have some stocks and you got to have some bonds. you got to have an international exposure and all that. Yep. We never put our eggs all in one particular asset class. But we do with income. And number one thing we do is with income. Yeah. You know, and we feel beholden to getting a W-2 from somebody or getting a, you know, getting a paycheck from somebody. It's really good. Um, what is your... Crossroad, like what? What is the thing that you settled on? And I know you opened a, I know you opened a company around no, the time that you were out traveling. I, so. I did, and it was yeah. funny because um, when we got back from the trip, you know, corporate corporate America was still there, and and true to form, my former employer, who has always been very good to me, before, during, and even after the trip, um, they welcomed me back if I wanted it, and I just I wasn't ready to do it, and I I. I had a, a lot of opportunity to think on the road and, and even upon re-entry 
had an opportunity to sit down with a good friend of mine who really pushed me on the idea of, have you thought about executive coaching? Have you thought about leadership development? And, and again, this is back to, you know, we get so tangled up in acronyms and certifications and all that. And I got, I got all tangled up in all those coaches, man, they all have letters next to their names and they all have certifications and all this, that, and the other. And my friend is kind of shaking his head going, well, kind of walk me through your last 20, 25 years of work and tell me what you did. And I mean, you'll, you'll appreciate this, that what did I have? I had coaching conversations. We talked about leadership development. We developed and grew leaders. We, we grew businesses as a result of that. And, and he kind of sits back and he said, try this, see if you like it. Yeah. And to his credit, I mean, he brought me into a couple of his, his clients and, and I got a taste of it and absolutely loved it. I mean, I'm a, I will always be, to my dying breath, I'm a business development and I'm a sales guy. Um, so there's always a portion of my business that is involved in BD advisory and um, whether it's talking to sales teams, giving sales teams ideas, you know, just sales coaching, if, yeah. if you want to say that. But then the other two pieces of what I do around leadership development and around coaching and just it is it is meaningful work for me and it allows me to to make a mark and make an impact in a way that you know I've I've not been able to do before. I love it. Are there sectors that you specialize in? So if anyone's listening and they are in leadership in this world, yeah, yeah. you know it's funny. I uh, I I don't. And the the thing I'll say is is that any organization that sees people and leader development as a priority, regardless of what's going on in the economy and regardless of what's going on in the sort of ecosystem around them and they don't put their you know they don't take their foot off the gas when times get tough they still continue to invest those are the people that i want to work with i love that yes that's that's, uh that's powerful because it says a lot about them and it says a lot about where they place the value in it i mean this is where i do believe that learning and development organizations sometimes get the short shrift when it comes to recessionary times or less you know yeah less favorable they don't can the marketing department budget gets canned yeah you know budgets in some of these functional areas just get you know and in our world there's a just such a a tremendous gap of the types of leaders that people need and you see it more in the down markets than in the up markets but people need leadership in the down markets and our world is built on leaders that are producing so they get paid 90 percent more for their production than for helping their team members yes they're and they're also in um you, you know they like they're in competition with their team members also so how are you supposed to then get any time from your your leader that's wearing all of, all of these other hats so i you know one thing movement does well is they uh when you get to a certain point they make you stop producing yeah, so you can That's really good. focus on your team the right way. Well, and it's it's funny because they, there's so many companies that fall into... Oh, we're good. They fall into this idea of the player coach, you know, as a, as a position. Yeah. You know, and, and in a lot of ways, I mean, there are many organizations that where you are a player and a coach. Well, when you're a player coach, what, what do you default to? You default to the things that you know how to do best. And more times than not for a player coach, that means I'm going to be a individual contributor and I'm going to make my mark on the player side yeah. more than I am on the coach side. Now, again, unless the incentives are aligned differently and there's a whole compensation conversation around that, but generally speaking, we tend to gravitate towards the stuff that 
feels comfortable to that's us right. that we know how to do. This is neither here nor there, and I hadn't planned this to talk, to talk about this in this meeting, but I just took my team through a whole change in how we were structured, and it was because of what we're talking about right now. Sure. So I had um, four branch managers. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, I, I only moved my hand three times. Let me do it. One, two, three, four. <laughs> and then they each had a group of seven or eight loan, loan officers under them. Okay. And um, what I realized when I was looking at the coaches is they were all really, really great. Or the, I'm sorry, my branch leaders. They were all really, really great at one or two things. But there are about eight things that their loan officers needed from them. Yeah. Okay. And I, you know, I had one guy that was great at coaching. I had one guy that was great at accountability. I had one guy that was great at social media. And I had one guy that was really great at building relationships and spending time with his team and pouring into them on the personal side. Yeah. And I looked at all the loan officers and they only got that one thing and then me. Okay, so what we I went to all of these guys and, and I say guys because they are actually guys, but mm -hmm. um, I I went to them and I said I'm going to ask you to do something <clears throat> crazy, which is to give up your teams. I want you to give up your teams, and we're going to do this for the loan officers. And instead of each of you having eight people, you're now all going to share all of the loan officers, and that way you'll and you'll share the commission on them. Okay. And that way the loan officers get to has, have all the hats. So they get to have the person that's best at, yeah. at social media, the person that has accountability, the person that's good at coaching, the person that's good at personal relationships and experience it all and not just get stuck with one or the yes, other basically. Yes. Now this is the crazy thing. So I knew the loan officers would appreciate it and they, and they have. You know, they now, anytime they need something, they have a person that they can go to. What I didn't realize is for the coaches, when I when I asked them to give up on the thing that they're not good at, it was such a breath of fresh air for them because they could just focus on kind of like what you said, their sure, intersection, sure, right? They could sure. just focus on that thing that they're really, really good at that makes them money that helps their team. And the company gets the best of them. Yeah. In doing so. That's right. Right? I mean, that that's powerful. And, and they give up. There's also, there's a little bit of um, a, a, a feeling of failure knowing that you're not being everything for your team because we've asked you to be everything and you can't be everything. And they walked around with this feeling of failure. And when we said, hey, take away those six hats and throw them away, wear these two hats, the pride came out. Yes, yes. Yeah, kind of kind of cool. That's really great. My payroll department had a fit. <laughs> over they, were not, they were not happy. Uh, let's switch gears again, if that's okay. So sure. one of the things I really, really like to talk about in this uh, in this setting is nonprofit work, yeah. and who you're involved with. And I mentioned earlier, I give I give a check to your favorite charity um, just to say thank you for coming on, and also to help me satisfy my giving giving goals, basically. Um, and it gets matched by Movement and Casey Crawford. So oh, my every, every every any company you you could name will get matched. Okay. Um, but tell me who 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 do you work with these I, days? So I. My charitable works are, are primarily with two organizations. The first one is a group that I've been involved with for about 15 years called C3G. They are uh, called Christ-Centered Careers. It's a jobs ministry. Okay. So every Monday morning we meet uh, locally here at uh, North Point Community Church in Alpharetta. And My favorite church. These are people that are in between jobs. They're unemployed. They're underemployed. They could be fully employed, but they're just feeling a, a bit of restlessness or or discontent where they are and okay. they're looking to make a change. So um, it, it's interesting. 
we're talking about where I met Laura Cavett, yeah. uh, was in the employment industry. And Ronstadt. while I started my career with Ronstadt and, and got my first taste of that business for the first 10 years of my career, I ended up leaving that industry, but I fell in love with the business side of the, the just the purpose side of helping people find work. So that what was formerly a vocation for me became an avocation for me. And and I was able to give that back by way of volunteering now. I love through that. Employment. And so I, I in any country in the world, but I, I'll localize this to the US, that there's just something special about employment. It kind of, it really makes the world go around, whether you have your own business, whether you work for somebody, whether you work part-time, full-time, first-time, minimum wage, whatever. There's just something that is that is freeing and liberating and, you know, soul-nourishing about work. Absolutely. It gives people purpose, gives people the ability to pay their bills, raise you, families. You said yourself, you were lost without it. Yeah, yeah. buy homes, whatever. I mean, yeah. whatever that is, and work plays such an integral part of that. So to the extent that I'm able to give back in that regard, um, that's a ministry I, I will be in, involved in for you, a long time. You said something interesting, by the way, just now, that you meet Monday morning. That might be the my least favorite time to have a, a nonprofit meeting well, in the entire is, world. Well, and I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you maybe a, a, a contrarian point of view on okay. that. Is I, I tell people that I have a get-to job, not a go-to job where I get to do certain things. I don't have to just go to a job. I get to do these things. So when I start my Monday mornings that way, it's the way I start my week by actually giving back. And and I'm not saying that at all to pat on the back. Or no, I love like it. That, I love just, what you're saying. It Therapeutically for me, I, I wouldn't want to start my week any other way. I, yeah. I Sometimes I have to travel for work on those Mondays and I can't do it. But generally speaking, if I can do it, this is a group of people that I have tremendous respect for. And we honestly have no idea who's going to walk in the door that day either. So the work has the work has meaning, and I'm blessed to be in a group full of incredible volunteers and incredible job seekers. Too. Powerful. That's really cool. Um, I know the church very, very well because of all my time spent with MedShare. And the Be Rich campaign is, was, was and has always been just massive Certainly. for us. Like Certainly. such a huge part of our budget and a huge part of, of the budget for many, many, many NGOs in town. So um, that that's that's really cool. Well, and I'll tell you, we uh, what's, what's fascinating about it for me is we started out, we weren't always at North Point, actually, or just over the last probably 10 years we've been at North Point. But prior to that, we were meeting at an Atlanta Bread Company in Alpharetta, where we had just a few people come into the meetings. Pretty soon we were taking over the entire restaurant. And it looked like we were causing a fire hazard over there, so we had to switch. You grew out of Panera. and we grew out. We grew out of you know a, a pretty large, you know, casual dining restaurant into North Point. And at its peak in the late two thousands, we had we had probably four hundred people that would come on a Monday morning. No, and I, I think about I mean think about when this was. This was when the yeah. financial crisis was. This was unemployment was high. Yeah, you know, and and so now it's sort of leveled off to around 50 or 60 people a week and it's you know whether we have five people that show up or whether we have 500 people that show up you know we know that somebody will be nourished that day uh and I hopefully walk out with an idea so i i uh, i don't know if you've heard it 
phrased this way, but I always say that I give back and I volunteer because I'm selfish. Because it feels so good. Yeah. Yeah, it feels right. really good, right? No, that's I mean, right. If I'm not one of those that gives to the point of it hurting. Yeah. I give to the point of it feeling good. So it's a very, very I, selfish thing. Listen, I think it's it's a dopamine hit that I, I think once you kind of get into the, the rhythm of that, uh, it, it's it's better than any any kind of other yeah. rush that you could get. Yeah. It's way better than spending and buying. I'll tell you that. <laughs> right. And for you on Monday mornings when most people are spending an hour on the news and an hour on Facebook, you started your, your week off right. What's what's the second organization? The second organization is a school where my younger son goes, Valor Christian Academy in uh, Alpharetta. Uh, I serve on the board at, at Valor and uh, just love the mission of the school and the heartbeat of the school. We're training up that next level of servant leaders. I mean, that's really, it's in our... Yeah, it's in our they're motto all, and mantra. All studying and, uh, Toby Harris. Yeah, back to Toby Harris. See, <laughs> who knew he's got such reach? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if Toby's ever heard the story, by the way. Now, I listen. I, I I've I've heard some of your uh, episodes where you have different guests that that volunteer in different places. I mean, at the end of the day, the phrase that I give people is whether it's in a nonprofit setting or if you're a senior leader at an organization. We have a responsibility to be in the ministry of availability. Nothing else. That when you hit a certain point in your career and you are able to give back, whether it's in a charitable setting or whether it's even in your work setting, this idea of being available to people, that doesn't mean everything has to be scripted out or everything has to be just so calculated about anything. It's just sometimes it's just being in the same room and allowing you know, either your wisdom to be shared with somebody or just listening to them and having you be a sounding board to them. Yeah, just that's, um, that's other cool. centered is a term that we throw a lot, yeah. throw around a lot. I'm just not sure you can be a, a, a fully whole person without that. Yeah. It's like, it's such a big part Agreed. For, for me and for you and for so many people. I think you would always feel like something was missing if you didn't have that, I, I would imagine, I would guess. For sure. Eventually it's going to catch up. You know? Well, and I'll, and I'll tell you, the guy that, that gave me that phrase, Reggie Campbell, Reggie's no longer alive, but when he was, he, he was such an advocate and a proponent and a zealot of, hey, are we in the ministry of availability or what? Yeah, I've never heard that before. And, I love it. Ministry of availability. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, it is literally being that. It is being available to, to others. You could mirror that at home. You know, my, my wife and I both have uh, elderly parents now, and so we're dealing, you know, we're, with all that comes with getting our parents into their next phase, their next generation. And what we're finding is, is that being in the ministry of availability for them has great value. I mean, so much so where it, for me as a professional, it's, it's pushed me to think deeper about, hey, what kind of work can I do where I can still make myself available to, if I need to go to a doctor's appointment for my dad or my mom or, you know, my, my sons or, or anything like that. It's just It takes the pressure off a little bit if you look at it that way instead of, a lot of people look at it as hours or dollars. Yeah. And if you instead look at it as available mm -hmm. or not available, door open, door closed, that takes a little pressure off, doesn't it? That's a much easier way to, to look at it. It does. And, and I'll tell you the the... The performance orientation in us beats us up about that because we think, well, there's no way I can redeem that time. Well, first of all, God redeems the time. You know, yeah. he does, always. 
Second of all, more importantly, is you have opportunities in front of you. You know, if you got to choose between, am I going to put two extra discretionary hours at work or two hours, you know, somewhere else or serving somewhere else? There's our 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 work lives are busy enough that there are going to be some weeks where we're working sixty, seventy, and eighty hours, but most weeks we're not. Yeah. And to to the extent that we're able to reallocate time. Well, uh, on, on your deathbed, it's worth which it. You're one? never going to say, yeah. Yeah. You're never going to say, I wish I had just. I wish I'd work more. That PowerPoint, you know, the graphics on there, they just. <laughs> uh, that's a really good note to end on. Ash, I cannot thank you for coming out and spending time with me and, and showing off your grilling skills. Listen, this was dynamite. Everybody, sign up for this podcast. Josh Cavett, Movement Mortgage. Boom. Listen to him, follow him. Thank you, sir. Great to see you, brother. Oh, wait. And, and our we had a. Uh, a sous chef and a camera operator. Do you want to take a peek real quick? Is yeah. it a good chance? Let's see her. A- Andy's there. Rockstar. Our producer. Yeah.